Good morning, Stone Village, and happy Sunday. I hope that all of you are well and safe on this third Sunday of Lent. All is well in my world. Today's sermon is based on John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. It is a very long scripture lesson, uh, which I will not be reading to you. However, if you would like to read John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42, uh, before the sermon, this would be the time to hit pause and read that scripture lesson. So, without further delay. <clears throat> if asked to describe the woman at the well in today's gospel narrative, most of us would likely describe her as promiscuous, unchaste, and possibly immoral. It's what we have been taught by learned white heterosexual men. In some areas of Christendom, she has been described quite explicitly as a prostitute, a fallen woman, a harlot. In the grace of today's story, the good news of the story, resides in nothing more than Jesus' willingness to forgive the sins of such a woman. Now, you don't have to be an academic to notice nowhere in the narrative or the scripture lesson is the Samaritan woman described as promiscuous. Nowhere does Jesus call her a sinner, sexual or otherwise, or tell her, as he tells so many others, to go and sin no more. And so this is not a story about morality, nor is it a story about Jesus liberating a woman from her own sex life. It is a story, though, about two human beings revealing themselves to one another. As I consider the story in light of its true contours, I notice grace throughout the narrative. And in particular, I find tremendous good news in the way that Jesus engages the woman and the way that she engages Jesus. And this good news, I believe, can be a lens for us on our individual journey through the Lenten season. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> First, Jesus breaks all the rules to interact with the woman. By the time Jesus meets the woman at the well, the hostility between Jews and Samaritans is ancient, entrenched, and bitter. The two groups disagree about everything concerning how to honor God, how to interpret scriptures, and how and where to worship. They practice their faith in separate temples, read different versions of the Torah, and avoid social contact with each other whenever possible. The truth is they hate one another passionately. To put this in more contemporary language, the Samaritan woman is the other, the alien, the heretic, the stranger, the foreigner. She represents all the boundaries not to be transgressed, in one's religious life. All the spiritual taboos not to be broken. But Jesus, he transgresses and breaks all of them. I wonder, is there anything 
we can do in our 21st century lives to recover the scandal at the heart of this story. Because its heart is scandal. Not a sexual scandal, but a spiritual one. Think about it this way. Who is the last person on earth you'd ever want to deem good? The last person you'd ask for a favor? Who are the people you secretly wish to fix, impress, control, or save, but never, under any circumstances, accept as your equals in worth, dignity, or belovedness? When Jesus encounters or enters into conversation with the Samaritan woman, it is radical and risky. It stuns his own disciples because it asks of them to dream of a different kind of social and religious order. In essence, a different kind of kingdom. Jesus' willingness to break the social rules of his day, I believe, means that we, his followers, must live into the truth People are more than the sum of their political, racial, cultural, and economic identities. Jesus, in this instance, calls us to put aside the stereotypes we carry, the prejudices we nurse, the social and cultural lines we draw. He invites us to look at the Samaritan woman and see a sister an apostle, not a harlot, not a heretic, not a foreigner, not a threat. And so I wonder in your life, where might God be calling you to break a rule, transgress a boundary, embrace a stranger? Also, I wonder what lines has Jesus crossed in order to find you? Second, Jesus leads with vulnerability. As John describes the scene, Jesus is sitting by the well in the desert heat at high noon. He is tired out from his long journey, and he's all by himself. Along comes a woman with a water jar. And the first thing Jesus says to her is, give me a drink. It is an ironic and strange moment. Think about it. The Son of God is thirsty at the mouth of a well. And it's the outcast whom no, who no, whom no one else wants to interact with who provides the water he needs. How long, I wonder, does he sit there with his parched throat and dry lips, longing for water? Certainly, if he wanted to, he could access the water himself. But no, he waits. He waits so when the woman appears, she can recognize his vulnerability, his humanity, his need. Jesus secures the woman's trust by humbling himself, by naming his own thirst, by asking for something she can give. There is no smugness, no arrogance in his approach. 
He's thirsty, and he says so, and she, she responds. It may, may not seem like much, however, it is a remarkable moment. How often, in contrast, do we navigate life with a sense of self-sufficiency and toughness? How automatically do we hide our needs, our weaknesses, and our vulnerabilities, as if what's most human, real, and authentic about us must be denied and walled off for the sake of impressing others? I wonder, in your own life, in those moments of thirst, can you lead with vulnerability? Can you ask a stranger for help? Can you be open to receiving from others that which you most need? Third, Jesus sees her without shaming her. The conversation between Jesus and the woman pivots when he tells her what he knows about her life. You are right in saying, he says, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one who you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. This is the moment, the sordid moment, the sordid revelation my peers in ministry often point to when they try to make a case for the woman's sexual depravity. But there are any number of reasons why the Samaritan woman might have the past she has. Perhaps she was married off as a teen bride, then widowed, and passed along amongst her dead husband's brothers, as was the practice of the day. Maybe her husband's abandoned her, Maybe she's infertile. Maybe she's a victim of abuse. Whatever the case may be, we know in the first century, women didn't have the legal power to end their own marriages. They were the property of their fathers and their husbands. The authority to file for divorce rested with men alone. So there is a great deal we can't know about the woman's history. What we can infer, though, is she prefers to be invisible. She goes out of her way to avoid the other women in the town. For whatever reason, she doesn't feel they like her, accept her, or understand her. So she heads to the well in the scorching heat of the day, instead of in the cool of the morning. She hopes to come and go, undetected. In isolation, she carries her wounds, her fears, her complicated history. But then Jesus comes along and sees her. He sees the whole of her, the past, the present, the future, who she has been, what she yearns for, how she hurts, all she might become, and he names it all but he names it without shaming or condemning her. He sees and names the woman in a way which makes her feel not judged, but loved, not exposed, but shielded, not diminished, but restored. 
He doesn't shy away from the painful, dark, broken facets of her life. Instead, he allows the truth of who she is to come to the surface, to the light of day. In essence, this is a moment where he is saying, let's name what's real. Let's say what is. No more games, no more posturing. I see you for who you are. I accept you. I love you. Which leads me to wonder, can we, like Jesus, become soft landing places for people who live in isolation, who carry stories too heavy to bear? Can we see brokenness without shaming? Can we be safe spaces of healing and not additional harm? Can we see ourselves and each other through eyes of love and not judgment? Can we be a means of living grace in an, in an often graceless world? Regardless of what you may have been taught to believe about today's narrative, it is more than a story about a fallen woman being redeemed and saved by a man. Let's be clear. And there are tremendous life lessons here, not solely for the season of Lent, but for every season of life. If we have the eyes to see it, the heart to accept it, and the vulnerability to lean into it. Thanks be to God. Amen. I give thanks to God for each of you, and I pray this day you bear witness to the love of God in this world. Bear witness to the love of God so those to whom love is a stranger, they will find in you a generous and loving friend. In the name of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. I love you, stoners. I hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, I will see you soon. Bye.